This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Last week we looked at uh, the plagues and uh, everything that was coming against uh, Egypt that Moses had gone to Pharaoh said, let my people go. God won his people set free. And, um, and it's interesting that the plagues did not affect the land of Goshen where the Hebrews lived. But the, these plagues, they finally got down to the Passover. And we talked about the Passover, that there was, uh, they killed a lamb. They, they shared a meal. There was blood uh, put over the top of the doorframe, the sides. And the angel of death passed over where there was blood. Passed over that. And there was no, uh, the firstborn lived where there was blood. The others, of course, they lost their firstborn. And then um, they finally relented. Pharaoh did, said go. And then the story is he, was, he chased them and they, were, they crossed the Red Sea and but the Red Sea got the Egyptian army. They get in the wilderness. There's manna, there's quail, and there's water. And, and here in chapter 5, uh, we're looking at three months into their travel from Egypt. So we're going to take up uh, from there. And you find here that Moses goes up into Mount Sinai, and he's there to receive the Ten Commandments. And he receives these Ten Commandments. And by the way, they're still good commandments for the day, right? It's still good not to murder, not, not to have another God before God, or to make idols and that type of thing. The Ten Commandments are still true today. It's just as new believers are written on our hearts. Moses comes down, he shares with the people everything that God said to do. And the people responded with, we will do it. We'll do everything that God says to do. So Moses returns back to the mountain to receive more instructions from God. And he's told about building, uh, having a, a tabernacle. And tabernacles speaks of dwelling. God is looking for a dwelling place on this earth. He's, he, it's kind of the reverse. Remember, uh, in the garden, he, he would come down. He's looking for a place to come and dwell. And this tabernacle is to be built. And God's teaching them how to approach him. He's given the Ten Commandments that were how to walk before God, but also how to walk before each other. But in the tabernacle, he's teaching them how to, to worship him. So Moses has gone a long time. And the people start getting nervous and wondering, where's Moses? Is he ever coming back? So they go to Aaron, Aaron being Moses' uh, brother, and said, Aaron, Moses isn't showing up. We don't know what's going on here. And they start complaining. And they said, we need you to make us an idol. We need a God to go before us. Can you imagine? You just received the Ten Commandments. It didn't take long, did it? <laughs> Broken. <laughs> and here comes this request. And, and Aaron, he says, 
look, collect all the gold. You remember all that gold? It says, the Bible speaks that when they left Egypt, that God favored them. The favor of God came on them, and the Egyptians gave them gold and silver. So they came out with plenty. And here they are. Aaron says, give me your gold. And he takes the gold, throws it into the fire, and then he fashions, he builds, he forms this golden calf. Now, when, when you study uh, some of the Jewish uh, teachings, it was probably a big bull is probably what it was. And they're worshiping this thing. And in the meantime, here's Moses on, on top of Mount Sinai receiving instructions from God. And God goes, hey, um, you might need to get down there. And he tells them what's going on in the camp. And in this scripture, in Exodus 32, verse 8, God is extremely angry. Let me say that. They have been quick to turn away from what I've commanded them and made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed it and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, you who brought you up out of Egypt. I've seen these people. The Lord said to Moses, They are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I might destroy them, then I will make you into a great nation. So here's God, and when you read the Old Testament, you really start understanding how holy he is and what sin, the effect of sin, and, and the, to bring judgment, he is to bring judgment, you know, on sin. So here we have where God's favor had blessed them with gold. They take that gold and they build a idol, a false god. They took the gift of God, the favor of God, and they perverted it to serve another god. Happens today. You see people gifted by God, favored by God, but they're just throwing it away because they're not serving God with it. So we have this situation where God is saying, leave me alone. We're going to start this whole thing over, Moses. Now, was God changing his mind? Let me answer this for you. No. He had a covenant. You remember that covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? Who did he put himself on the line for? Say himself. We were taught that when Pastor Rob was teaching. God put himself on the line for the covenant. So he's not changed his mind. He's saying, Moses, step up to the challenge. Step up to the plate. I need you. To be a mediator. I need you to step up. What God was saying, I need to use your faith to stand in the gap. That was God's plan the whole time. 
because he had put himself on the line with that covenant with Abraham. You know who swore that covenant to be in the being? God swore by himself because there was no one else to swear by. That's what the scriptures say. He looked around. Is there anybody else? Nobody. He had to swear himself. So he's on the line for this. Moses, I need you. So in Exodus 13, just moving down a couple of scriptures, Moses starts stepping up and he tells God, what's everyone going to think? That kind of speech. Look, they're going to say that you delivered them from, the, from Egypt to kill them. And he, he goes along that line of God. And then I believe he hits the nail on the head. And we're going to read it here in verse 13. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give your descendants in all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on this people the disaster he had threatened. Relented there when you read it in the King James, which I was brought up on. Which, by the way, is not the only Bible that you can read. It said that God repented. And I remember reading that. that God sinned. That's the only way I you know, knew to take it. God sinned. That can't be. And, of course, he didn't. He was just able to not do what was in his thinking because there was a mediator that stood in the gap. And somehow legally, lawfully, God was able to take what Moses said when he interacted with what? The covenant. He touched the covenant. He was a man on this earth touching God with covenant. God said, okay, we're not going to do that. And I'm sure he's thinking, thank you, Moses. So Moses stood in the gap, and God was able to use Moses' faith to not start over. So Moses comes down from the mountain, and they're singing going on. Joshua goes, I hear the sound of victory. And, he, and Moses goes, no, I hear the sound of singing. They were worshiping this golden calf. And this... You know, here he comes down with the Ten Commandments. What does he do? Smashes them. They broke the law. He broke the tablets. Hello, this is Moses. I'm back. And he looks to Aaron. And this, every time I've ever read this, it makes me laugh. It's, it's got me the most outrageous speech of a, you could ever hear comes to Aaron and Aaron what's happened here oh please don't be upset Moses you you know these people they're so prone to to evil and they came to me they asked 
if they could have a God go before them. They didn't know if you were coming back, you know, and and said, so I, I asked him, you know, for the gold, and we just threw it in the fire. And this is what he says. And this calf came up out of it. <laughs> he left off the part that he built and molded and fashioned the thing. No, this, it was like an automatic. It was a miracle. This calf came up, and we just started worshiping. We were having a lot of fun. Moses said, you came down. <laughs> Moses is upset that he takes the silver, he burns it, he took the, the calf, burned it, crushes the gold into a powder, puts it in the water, and said, you're going to drink your God. And they drank that calf. <laughs> I think that's funny, I don't know why. Anyway. So then Moses asked all on the Lord's side to come to him. And then he said, go and slay. He was actually he sent them out to slay those that were still continued in rebellion. And 3,000 were slain. Now, and I, I'm going to talk about this uh, some at the end, but 3,000 out the grand total was just a small number. But see, rebellion in the camp, what, what happened with this, they endangered themselves to the judgment of God. He had to judge sin. They endangered themselves from enemies coming and attacking them because they had no protection. That golden calf was not going to protect them. So you, you see God and you see the just absolute brilliance of God when you read, you read it all, the, the story like we're doing. Because he had to do everything perfectly holy and righteous. So there might be some things you don't understand, but let me tell you, it was holy and righteous. Amen. Exodus 32, verse 32. But now please forgive their sin. This is, this is uh, Moses. Now please forgive their sins. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Now that to me is one of the most powerful verses in Scripture. That Moses got into this standing in the gap to the point. He had a relationship with God, but he said, forgive these people. If not, blot me out of your book. Give me no eternal life. Wow. It's powerful what he did there. So God tells Moses, he said, look, chisel out two stone tablets, and he would write on them again. This time, first time God gave the tablets, this time, Moses, you bring the tablets, and I'll write the Ten Commandments. In other words, Moses, you have a part to play this time. You got some skin in the game. You bring the tablets up, 
and I'll write these again. And then it says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed the name the Lord. Well, let, me, let me back up for just a second. I need to say a little bit more about that. When Moses went up to be with God, they believe it's in the same place where the burning bush was, where he had seen God. And when he brought the Ten Commandments down, I believe that this time there was some understanding in Moses' heart that I, I take hold of the people and take hold of God. I'm, I'm ministering to God on behalf of these. And he took this role seriously. And he starts walking in this. Then we go down to Exodus 34, verse 5. Then the Lord came down the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed the name the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpardoned. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. This is the Lord speaking. Now what's he doing? He's revealing to Moses who he is. He, he renewed his promise and his covenant. He said, Moses, I'm making the covenant, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I'm making covenant with you. And he says, the people, this great nation will do wonders that have never been seen on the earth. And he, he just starts teaching and, and, and telling them what, what they're to do how they're to, to live. And then, after the, the promise is renewed, God reveals himself. This is powerful here, that Moses is seeing God, who he really is, is being revealed here. So I want us to look at just a moment. He repeats twice, the Lord, the Lord. It's repeated for emphasis and it means, I'm your dear Lord. I'm your dear Lord. It's, and it speaks of personal Lord. Do you know Jesus is your personal Lord? I know you spent time with him this morning, but you know, he was at my place too. He's personal for each of us. And don't you love that you can get him Anytime, anywhere he's there. You cannot get away from him. I don't want to. It says he's compassionate. This is a deep-seated mercy and concern for you. Deep-seated mercy and concern for us. So he's gracious. And we know gracious or grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's, it's God's enablement in our life. But it, it's undeserving favor or it, it's favor for the undeserving. Let me say it like that. Anybody here say, that was me? <laughs> His favor came. His grace came. 
So we see that God's wanting a relationship based on how he wanted it to be, not based on what you and I deserved it to be. There's a man named John Newton. He was born in 1725 in London. He was a reckless youth. He had drinking problems, just all kinds of issues and stuff in his life. He became a slave trader. He was the captain of a ship that carried slaves. He gets saved and he becomes a pastor. He wrote a pamphlet called Thoughts Upon the Slave Trade. He described the horrific conditions on slave ships, and Newton apologized for it. He said it will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me, that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. The pamphlet was so popular and was repent, reprinted several times, and it was sent to every member of parliament. The English civil, civil government outlawed slavery in Great Britain in 1807. And, and John Newton had a great part in that. And Newton lived to see it dying in December of that, of that year. But when God saved him, he was overwhelmed by the grace of God. For he who has been forgiven much loves much. Anybody in here been forgiven much or just me? Loves much. Overwhelmed by the grace of God. He lived his life that way. He wrote 280 hymns. He wrote the words for a song in 1772. I believe you'll recognize Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound saved the wretch like me. Once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twist grace that taught my heart to fear. In grace, my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour of first place. Hallelujah. The grace of God. It never runs out. It's for all eternity. So he's compassionate. He's gracious. Says he's slow to anger. And it means God is patient. Has he been patient and kind to you? He's so patient. He's so kind. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. And this means that he overflows in loving kindness. And actually, this word talks of covenant loyalty here. He's a covenant God. He's loyal to us, even when we're disloyal to him. You ever been betrayed or had someone reject you or leave you or whatever? He'll never do that. He'll never do that. It says, maintaining love to thousands. And this just doesn't mean thousands of people. It means thousands and of generations. He maintains his love. Or it's a never-ending love. Forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. 
And we're all glad of that. God can forgive anything and everything. Doesn't matter what you've done. He's a forgiving God. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. Wow. What? He just goes through this list. And then he says, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. It sounds like God has almost trapped himself. Said, yes, I forgive and all this great stuff. And then he says, but he must punish the guilty. Why? Because God is just. He's a just God. He's a holy God. Moses, after this, it says, Moses bowed to the ground. Exodus 34, 8, bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. That's what you do when God reveals himself. When you're in his presence, just bow down. Just give it up. Don't, even, don't say anything. Just bow. Bow down. That was the correct response to what God had just did. He bowed down, this means, with the deepest humility in all. And that's what we do before our God. We bow down in deep humility and awe and reverence before our God because he's worthy of all praise. When you realize how deep his love is for us and the price God paid for us, the righteous response is to worship him and to bow down, to even lay down your life in worship of him. Think about worship. Worship of God does something for us. It molds us and it shapes us and it transforms us. When we come together on Sundays and we gather together as a family, something happens inside of us as we worship God together, as we hear the word of God. Something transforms forms and something recalibrates our thinking and maybe our life and the adjustment that's made and maybe our focus gets clear or God's revealed in another way than ever before and we're changed in his presence that's what happened to Moses he changed in the presence of God He re reveals his love for us, and he transforms what we love. I found that the more that I love him, the more that he changes what I love. The Bible says you can't hate your brother and sister and love God. can't do it it's, it's impossible if you want to love someone correctly then first love the Lord with all your heart soul and strength it's through his love that we can truly love someone else in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 15 but even to this day when Moses is read a veil lies on their hearts Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 
Well, this, this, this veil, it's who, who the Lord is. It's revealed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. When you turn to the Lord, the veil comes off. That, that legalistic law is gone. You are free, and you turn to the Lord, there is no veil. There's liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Spirit of the Lord, as by the Spirit of the Lord. We're transformed as we behold Him. And that's what we do when we gather together. We're beholding Him as a family. We're worshiping him corporately and beholding him. And we're being transformed and changed. You ever been having a rough day and you put some praise music on and the rough day left? You ever came to church and you I really don't feel like being at church today. But you're the pastor, you got to be there. <laughs> You don't feel like it, but once you're with God's people and once you open up your heart in worship, there he is. And you find he's all together lovely, powerful. It's our God to transform our lives. Many times we're trying to transform by health books, self-help books, or whatever. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying there's help that cometh from on high. Get in, get with him. Get in the word of God. The word of God will change your life. Get before him in worship and get transformed. I like it from the message Bible. It says, whenever though they turn their face as Moses did, they face God as Moses did, God removes the veil, and there they are face to face. They suddenly recognize that God is a living personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We're free of it, all of us. Nothing between us and God. Our face is shining with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured, much like the Messiah. Our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. From glory to glory. What's that mean? It doesn't mean that your spirit's being changed because your spirit is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But it means your mind, your emotions, you're getting renewed. Things are changing in your life and you're going from glory to glory. And people behold and see that you're shining. People behold and see that there's a beauty to your life that they just can't put their hand on. Reminds me, Ellen, when she was nursing, that the one of the nurses came up and said, what is it about you? You're happy. What, 
and you're a nurse. I didn't know that went together. What? And she was able to, to lead this nurse to the Lord. It's Jesus. Jesus changes everything. I'm not saying we don't have tough, difficult days. We do. Anybody here ever had a tough, difficult day? Yeah. Because we're living in a world that's cursed. And we're living with people who are non-believers. Have you noticed that? But we are to represent God to them. We are to be the ones that are ambassadors showing how good God is. That will keep you off social media. I mean, you got to start praying for those that get under your skin. The nerve of God. Had a guy that was just harassing me at, at work and, and just giving me a, a tough time. I mean, I'd given him cassette tapes. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's a little thing to have these tapes on. <laughs> giving him all these tapes, I was ministering to him. And I, I come into work and he had shredded them all and piled up. It's like a mountain on my desk. People were coming from all the floors viewing this. You know, it was like a tour going on. And just, and all I'd done had, I thought, been nice and good to him. And it was just, it was rough. Couldn't even talk to him. So my first prayer was, get thee behind me, Satan. Have him leave this work. Have him. I want him gone. And the Lord whispered, I've sent you to pray for him. Huh? And I'm, I'll just reveal my flesh. It was the shortest prayer. Lord, blessing. I mean, it wasn't, and was my heart in? No. This guy was causing me all kinds of grief. <laughs> but you know, the longer I just kept doing it, it started transforming me. And he gave me a love for him. I didn't care what he did. He just dropped the love in me for him. And I would have prayer sessions for him. And just loving on me. And to make a long story sh short, he came back and to me. And he told me he had gotten mad at God. You know how we pray something, we want instant results. We have to learn and, and grow. He had prayed and God didn't answer it the way he wanted it to be answered. He got mad at God. So, since he couldn't touch God, he said, I'm going to get Bob. <laughs> and that's what happened. So, it turned out to be a beautiful, beautiful time. So, Moses, he, he bows and worship. He prays, 
Lord, go with us. Forgive us our wickedness. wickedness. Let us be your inheritance. All of a sudden, his prayer, you know, let us be your treasure, your inheritance, God. Because you revealed yourself to me and your compassion and your loving kindness, your grace has overwhelmed me. He said, let us be that treasured people, that inheritance for you. And God speaks the covenant. But Moses proved to be an inadequate mediator. We find that later he's to speak to the rock, but he hits the rock twice to get water out. And then God took Moses out. Moses did not get to go to the promised land. Once again, it seems like, God, you're being harsh. But you've got to understand God's perspective that God had Moses as one who walked and talked with him face to face. He was one that communed with God and he was like worshiped among the Israelites. They had a reverence. You know, for him, he was Moses. And for him to blatantly disobey, he had no other choice but to punish that sin. He had to show them that sin is still an issue that has to be dealt with. So he didn't get to go into the promised land. So he was not the perfect mediator. You might think that God was harsh with him, but I believe he did what he had to do. But Moses was not the one that God is ultimately pointing to as the perfect mediator. Jesus Christ is our mediator. Hebrews 9 verse 15, And for this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the internal inheritance. There's many verses on uh, Hebrews 12, 24, To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant in the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So in obedience... The perfect mediator mediator keeps the law perfectly. And then in obedience to the Father, he goes to the cross. And the innocents, the innocent become guilty, the guilty become innocent. So God forgives sins and he punishes our guilt in Jesus. He still suggests God. He dealt with both. In, in, in your uh, questions here, number one, the God of the Old Testament has not changed, but because of Jesus, the way he's able to deal with people has changed. And you, you read about God, it said that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Later on, it said God hardened his heart. And see, it's because God had to deal with sin. He had revealed that he was God to Pharaoh. But there was sin, and he has to deal with this. Well, he didn't have to harden his heart. There came a point in the Old Testament, you'll see that God will just give you what you want. He hardened and hardened his heart. Okay, have a hardened heart. 
When Israel wanted a king, God said, no, 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 no. Don't do this, don't do this. And they kept on. He said, okay, have a king. And you know what happened there. So God would give them what they were asking for. But there was people in the Old Testament that were saved. They were saved by faith in the sacrifices, in the provision that was supplied. Even though they didn't understand everything, they were saved. It's still by faith today. But we look at the progressive revelation of who God is. And you want to see the perfect reflection of the Father? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Hallelujah. I mean, love Jesus. <laughs> Number two, the Lord is compassionate, gracious, patient, overflowing in loving kindness. His love never ends, forgiving our sins, and is just. Not leaving the guilty unpunished. True love flows from others, from a person that is loving God with all their heart. Number four, God does not ignore sin. He dealt with it in Christ. It said the judgment and the wrath of God came upon Jesus in our place. And number five, we can look into the face of Jesus and be transformed from glory to glory in his presence. Let's bow our heads. Give you an opportunity this morning if you're just bow your heads and no one looking around. You can accept Jesus Christ, that one who did stay, stand in the gap for you, the sacrifice who gave his life for you. He paid it all where you could have it all. You can have eternal life, eternal bliss, be with God forever and the people of God. We all come the same way to him. We surrender our hearts and our life. Say, Lord, we've got to have you. Got to have you. That's you. We're going to pray a prayer. You mean it from your heart. You change to one of his kids. Part of his family. If you're watching online, you can pray with us too. It's all say this. Dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you for the price. That was paid. That I could have new life. That I could be a new creation. Brand new in you. I believe that you died on the cross. That God raised you from the dead. Raised Jesus from the dead. And he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. Standing in the gap. Making intercession for the family thank you Lord for saving me I surrender all to you in Jesus mighty name everyone said amen if you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest 
please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. I'm a singer.